Hi, my name is Tomer Singer. I'm a reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist, the director of REI at Lenox Hill Hospital in Manhattan, New York, the residency program director for the OBGYN at Lenox Hill, and the director of egg freezing at Norquil Health Fertility. I'm here to talk to you today about non-invasive prenatal testing and prenatal screening in general. We'll be talking today about prenatal testing and non-invasive prenatal testing. This is important given that couples have been delaying their fertility into their 20s, 30s, and sometimes well into their 40s. This slide shows a significant decline in mid-30s into the 40s, whereas in the early 20s and late teens, we can see that the number of eggs and the egg quality is at its best state. This slide that was published in Nature shows the increase in abnormal chromosomes that are seen in pregnancies that were tested. And you can see here that as the pregnancy age, meaning the age of the patient who is pregnant, goes up, so is the chromosomal abnormalities rates that are found in the fetuses and in the embryos that are being tested. This made it extremely important for us to come up with different testing that will allow couples to make decisions regarding their pregnancies and fetuses prior to their delivery. If in the past the only test that was available was a, a serum blood test that was ru ruling out Down syndrome, at this day and age we have multiple ways to assess the embryo. Prenatal diagnosis includes ultrasound of the uterus, the placenta, and or the developing fetus, chorionic villus sampling to obtain tissue for chromosome or biochemical analysis, and amniocentesis to obtain amniotic fluid for the analysis of the chromosomes of the embryo. In the past decade, there is a new test that's been become available and very popular. It's called non-invasive prenatal testing. It's a simple test that is done at age 10 weeks of gestation and any time thereafter from the mom's blood. We will go into details in assessing why is that an important test and how can this provide us with the information that is needed earlier on in pregnancy to allow, allow couples to decide how to proceed. This slide here that was published in Fertility and Sterility shows that the risk of chromosomal abnormalities goes up with age. On the right hand side you'll see that at age 30 there's about 23% risk for having a chromosomally abnormal embryo. This goes up to 35% at age 35, all the way to 58% at age 40, and 84% of embryos will be abnormal at age 45, when to begin with it is fairly difficult to achieve a pregnancy, and most pregnancies as you can see on the slide on the left will result either in a miscarriage or in an abnormal finding. This slide summarizes the risk of aneuploidy, which is either having an extra chromosome or a missing chromosome in the fetus with the maternal age. At age 25, the likelihood is very small, almost 1 in 500. Just a decade later, it goes to 1 in 180. At five years later, it goes to 1 in 60. And women age 45 will find that they have about 5% risk for having a chromosomally abnormal pregnancy and will have this information readily available to them in the first trimester. This slide shows an embryo development. Once the sperm and egg creates an embryo, usually in the fallopian tube or in the petri dish in an IVF uh, cycle, the chromosomal makeup has been already determined. The embryo develops from day one all the way to day five, travels into the fallopian tube and into the uterus, and then implants. And if an embryo is found to be normal, there's a good chance that this pregnancy will reach a viable baby and a delivery. 
in this slide, we can see that embryos that were tested prior to implanting them back into the uterus have given us a lot of information about the impact of advanced maternal age and the embryo makeup in terms of chromosome. Chromosomes are the building blocks of our genetic material. Each one of us has 23 sets of chromosomes, one given by their father and one by their mother, and we can analyze those chromosomes by doing a blood test and analyzing the genetic makeup of one's DNA. On the left, you'll see a normal chromosome number, 23 sets of chromosomes, and all the way at the bottom, you will see that an embryo can be either an XX, meaning a female, or XY, meaning a male. And on the right, you can see an example of an abnormal embryo that has an extra chromosome 10, which most likely will lead to an abnormal pregnancy, whether it's a miscarriage or a need uh, for a special treatment. Egg abnormalities increase with maternal age, and with advanced maternal age, there's usually some errors that are happening during the fertilization process when the sperm penetrate the eggs and when the egg contributes some of the DNA. It is more likely that the egg will be responsible for chromosomal abnormalities when the maternal age is over 35 rather than the sperm itself. It's either going to cause too much or too little DNA to be contributed to the fetus or to the embryo. Trisomy is when we have an extra chromosome. The most common example is Down syndrome, which is trisomy 21, meaning one of the parents contributed an extra chromosome 21, which caused the embryo to be affected by Down syndrome. And Down syndrome has several phenotypes. The embryo will be short in stature, will have cardiac anomalies, and at times mental retardation. Monosome is when you have too little chromosome, meaning you're missing a whole chromosome. The most common example is Turner syndrome, when the X chromosome is missing and the fetus has only 45 chromosome instead of 46. This slide is taken from the American College of OBGYN guidelines showing the risk of chromosomal abnormalities as it goes up with maternal age. You can see here that at age 25, the risk of any chromosomal abnormalities is about 1 in 475, very low, well below 1%. 10 years later at age 35, it goes up already to 1 in 178, so more than double the risk of just 10 years prior to that. And at age 45, you can see that up to 5% of pregnancies will be affected by chromosomally abnormal fetus. Prenatal screening and diagnostic testing are very important. Both the American College of OBGYN and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine have issued new guidelines on the administration of prenatal screening and diagnostic testing. This was published back in February 2016 following advancement in genetic testing and in prenatal screening. The objective of prenatal genetic testing is to detect health problems that could affect the woman, the fetus, or the newborn, and provide the patient and their partner and the OBGYN the information so they can make informed decision about the pregnancy management. The benefit of prenatal genetic testing is foremost reassuring patient when results are normal. That is the vast majority of the cases. The second benefit is to identify disorder for which prenatal treatment may provide benefit. The third benefit is to optimize neonatal outcome by ensuring the appropriate location for the delivery and the necessary personnel to take care of affected infant. And the fourth is to allow the opportunity for pregnancy termination if the couple wish to do so. This slide that was published in New England Journal of Medicine shows the rate of miscarriages as a function of maternal age. 
You can see in the slide the yellow graph that shows the rate of spontaneous abortion, very low at just at age 20 to 30, and then a slight rise beyond age 30 and a significant rise beyond age 35. We can see here that at age 30 Five, the rate of spontaneous abortion can reach 20 to 25 percent, whereas at age 45 and above, over 90 percent of pregnancies will result in spontaneous miscarriage. The belief is that most miscarriages happen due to chromosomal abnormalities, as we discussed prior. On the left side, you'll see the blue slide that shows an inverse correlation and the rate of fertility that goes down. We now know that it's very unlikely to achieve a viable pregnancy in a healthy pregnancy in women who are older than 45 years of age. This slide of prenatal screening shows the different tests that are available to test for chromosomal abnormalities in, some, in, in different pregnancies. The most common is Down syndrome or trisomy 21. Some of these tests can also determine the fetal sex and tell us if the embryo is a male or a female. The different options include non-invasive prenatal testing, which we'll be talking today about, serum screening, chorionic villus sampling, and amniocentesis. You can see in the diagram here that non-invasive prenatal testing is the earliest test that's available to determine the embryogenetic material. It is approved from gestational age 9 and 10, depending on which state, and it assesses cell-free fetal DNA. The triple screen has been around for the last three decades, and that starts usually beyond 10 weeks gestation. A quad test usually starts beyond gestational age 13 and 14. And invasive testing like CVS is available at a gestational age 10 and above, while amniocentesis is available as a diagnostic test beyond a gestational age of 15. This table shows the characteristic, the advantages and disadvantages of common screening tests for aneuploidy, usually assessing for Down syndrome. You can see that there are multiple tests that are available, anywhere from first trimester screening to triple screen, quad screen, integrated screen, nuchal translucency, and cell-free DNA. The next slide will be a little bit easier to read. You can see here a summary of that table that is looking at the different common tests that are being performed. The first trimester test is usually performed between 10 and 14 weeks gestation, and it can detect up to 87% of cases of Down syndrome. The triple screen, which is usually performed in the second trimester, and usually after 15 weeks gestation, and all the way to 22 weeks, can detect up to 69%. That's a simple blood test that is being done from the maternal serum, and can give us reassurance that the pregnancy is not affected by Down syndrome in more than two-thirds of the cases. Not good enough. The quad screen, which can be done again from 15 to 22 weeks, increases the detection rate to about 81%. Cell-free DNA, which is the topic of our lecture today, can be performed as early as 10 weeks gestation, which is about two and a half months of pregnancy, and you can see that it can be performed all the way to term and can detect up to 99% of all cases of Down syndrome when results are available. Last is the nuchal translucency, which is essentially the ultrasound of the baby's neck, that has been around in the past two to three decades and can be performed between 10 and 13 weeks and six days and can detect just by ultrasound alone 64 to 70% of Down syndrome cases. It is pretty clear from that table that non-invasive prenatal testing is the screening test of choice. This diagram shows here that the mom 
who is pregnant at 10 weeks or above is having a blood test drawn, a simple blood test, and that test is used to detect cell-free DNA that belongs to the embryo, and that's usually DNA that is derived from placenta cells that enter the mother's bloodstream. Special genetic testing is used in order to amplify that DNA and perform PCR and allow the embryo DNA to be assessed. There are different types of genetic testing, including whole genome amplification and array CGH, in addition to the PCR, to allow the placental fetal DNA to be identified, to be isolated from the maternal DNA, and to provide us with information regarding the genetics of the embryo. Again, this is an indirect test, given that it checks cells from the placenta rather than the embryo itself or the fetus, but we now know that there is a good correlation between the two, and in patients that were diagnosed with Down syndrome, this non-invasive prenatal testing was able to detect 99% of the cases of Down syndrome by a simple blood test and very, very early on. This is another diagram that shows how the test is being performed. The non-invasive prenatal screening for trisomy 21 using the cell-free DNA is shown at the bottom of the slide. The, the mom will have a blood test. The leukocytes, which are the white cells, has DNA that can be extracted. The red blood cells don't have DNA, so we have to focus on the white cells. And once the fetal cell-free DNA are identified, we compare that DNA to a library of a normal fetus. We can identify what is maternal DNA and what is a fetal DNA, and then detect the rate of aneuploidy, as we had mentioned, an extra or a missing chromosome, by a process which counts the number of cell-free DNA sequences from the chromosome of the baby compared to a library that's been established prior and showing us what's normal and what's abnormal. Once the results are back, suggesting an abnormal results, the next step would be to do a diagnostic testing, which is chorionic villus sampling, also known as CVS, can be done anywhere between 10 and 12 weeks gestation, depending on which study we review, versus an amniocentesis, a test that's been around for a longer time but can only be performed beyond 15 weeks gestation usually. Here in the slide you will see that chorionic villus sampling includes taking a biopsy from the fetal placenta. It can be done either through the vagina with a simple needle or through the abdomen. There's going to be an ultrasound involved given that we would like to guide the needle to the area that will have the least impact on the growing fetus. Once the tissue from the placenta is established, obtained. We are doing a biochemical test and genetic test to try and assess the karyotype of the embryo and find out if there's a missing chromosome or an extra chromosome. 23 sets of chromosomes will provide a normal results with the identification of whether it's a female or a male depending on the presence or absence of the Y chromosomes. On the top part of this image you can see how an amniocentesis will be performed. At 15 weeks or above an ultrasound-guided needle will be uh, going into the amniotic fluid, obtaining amniotic fluid, and using centrifugation, centrifugation, we will obtain the DNA of interest from the amniotic fluid. That will be essentially a direct measurement of the fetus, given that this will assess the embryo's skin cells that are floating in amniotic fluid, and then we'll do a fetal, fetal cell culture, 
that fetal cell culture will be analyzed, again, creating a karyotype and assessing for a missing or an extra chromosome, and by that, ruling out Down syndrome and other chromosomal abnormalities. The abnormal screening results requires diagnostic tests. That's an important point, meaning that non-invasive prenatal testing that we have discussed that can be performed as early as 10 weeks is just allowing us to decide whether or not a diagnostic test is needed. We should not be acting on any results based on a simple blood test, no matter how accurate it is. If the abnormal tests of the non-invasive prenatal testing has been showing a suggestion of a Down syndrome, trisomy 13, 18, or any other abnormalities, the next step is to go to the invasive diagnostic test. The primary advantage of CVS that it can be performed beyond 11 weeks gestation. Some studies even show that centers can perform it at 9 and 10 weeks gestation, but there's increased risk when you do it that early. The amniocentesis is usually performed at 15 and a half weeks and above, although some centers have suggested it can be done as early as 14 weeks, given that there's enough DNA from the fetus that is floating in amniotic fluid and can accurately be assessed for the detection of chromosomal abnormalities. CVS will provide us results earlier, about four to five weeks earlier, and that will allow for more management options, including termination of pregnancy or other options. The option of pregnancy termination should be discussed whenever a genetic disorder or major structural abnormalities is detected prenatally. It's not the only option, and many couples will choose to have a delivery and would like to prepare for that delivery given the challenges that are potentially be seen. If a diagnosis of a genetic abnormalities is made, counseling should include the availability of adoption or pregnancy termination. It should include both the couple, the genetic counselor, and the OBGYN prior to making any decision. Usually, these diagnostic tests are being performed by high-risk obstetrician, also known as maternal fetal medicine or perinatologists. They are well-trained to perform amniocentesis and CVS and to help the couple interpret those results. In conclusion, prenatal screening is very important. All women should be offered the option of aneuploidy screening or diagnostic testing for fetal genetic disorders, regardless of maternal age. In the past, it used to be that only women over age 35 should be offered those tests. That is no longer the case. Everyone agrees that even young patients may have increased risk for chromosomal abnormalities given family history and other comorbidities. The choice of which screening test is affected by many factors, including the desire of the couple to have information before the delivery. Some couple may choose not to know. Prior medical or obstetrical family history, it is clear that if a patient had previous miscarriages or bad perinatal outcome or had a family history of a baby with Down syndrome or other chromosomal abnormalities, they may want to do testing earlier on. The number of fetuses, whether it's a singleton pregnancy, twin, or triplets, that may affect the decision of both the couple and the neonatologist in terms of doing a testing. The age of conception, the availability of reliable nucleotranslucency measurement, which is the ultrasound of the neck of the baby that not every doctor can perform, and the availability of the different screening tests, depending on which part of the world or the country this testing are being performed, the accuracy may change from time to time. The cost of the screening, we don't know if all insurance companies will be covering all the testing. So some couples will choose to do one or a few tests rather than all the tests that are available. The constraint on long-term care on the affected child, 
meaning if there is a chromosomally abnormal embryo, such as chromosome 13, 15, or 18, the outcome may be more detrimental versus a chromosomally abnormal embryo that has an extra chromosome 21. The option of pregnancy care or pregnancy termination for abnormal test results. So if the chromosomal abnormal, abnormal results are confirmed, some couple may choose not to act on it, so may choose not to test to begin with. When it comes to the non-invasive prenatal testing, the cell-free DNA, as I've shown, is the best way of testing the embryo at an earlier gestational age. That test, as we've shown, evaluates short segment of DNA in maternal blood and can be used to screen for a variety of fetal conditions, most commonly trisomy 13, 15, 21, 22, X and Y, but some companies will offer more genetic testing that are usually paternally derived. The fetal component of the cell-free DNA is released into the maternal circulation, primarily from the placental cells, undergoing programmed cell death, and comprises about 3 to 13% of the total cell-free DNA in the maternal blood. The longer we wait and the advanced gestational age goes up, we will have more cell-free DNA that belongs to the fetus given the size of the embryo and the size of the placenta. The amount increases with gestation and will be cleared from the circulation within hours after the childbirth. Several molecular methods have been developed to analyze the cell-free DNA for the purpose of aneuploidy screening, and all appear to have similar detection and false positive rates. Non-invasive prenatal testing is also used to detect the fetal sex and some paternally derived autosomal dominant genetic abnormalities, like Prader-Willi or Engelmann, and the screening can be performed as early as 10 weeks gestation until term and offer the highest reported detection rate for Down syndrome, more than 98% detection with positive screening tests of less than 0.5%. The detection rate is lower for trisomy 13 and 18, and those who have no results are considered high risk and should be offered invasive prenatal testing. In order to avoid chromosomally abnormal embryos, one of the options for young female to freeze their eggs well into their 20s or early 30s that will prevent these chromosomal abnormalities that are seen at a later maternal age. There are techniques today that patient can choose to do pre-implantation genetic screening. It requires undergoing in vitro fertilization, creation of an embryo in the lab, and doing a small biopsy of what becomes the future placenta, and determining whether an embryo is a male, a female, or chromosomally abnormal prior to implanting that embryo back into the uterine, uterine wall. That will reduce significantly the chromosomal abnormalities and is used now routinely in IVF clinics and in fertility centers. So I hope you learned today about prenatal screening and non-invasive prenatal testing in specific, when to do it, why to do it, and how to interpret the results. If you have any questions, feel free to call us or contact us. Good luck.